Hello and welcome to the Clubhouse Golf Monthly's weekly look at the various different events in the world of golf. Uh, my name is Neil Tappin and I'm joined this week by uh, just one fellow podcaster, Nick Bonfield. Nick, hello. Hello, Neil. You well? Uh, I'm very well. How is your knowledge of the rules of golf? I would, if you'd asked me that question two years ago, I would say fairly poor. Uh, however, now working on the rules pages in Golf Monthly, I'd say slightly better. But still what? average. I'd say no more than average. Just to, as a quick spot check, what happens if you double hit a chip? Uh, you are penalised two shots. It's just one shot, isn't it? Is it? I don't know. He's unsure about the answer. <laughs> <laughs> if, if there's an appropriate bit where you're prattling on, I'll, look, I'll get the rules book out. I've got it next to me. I'll have a look at it and I'll come up with a definitive answer well, so, later. So I think you get penalised one and then one. You... When you hit it for the second time, that's one shot, and then it's a penalty shot. No, right? as in no, it counts hit... as one shot plus one penalty okay. shot. So you hit it twice and then you get penalised uh, one shot. Yeah. Okay. How many times do you want to penalise someone? They just double hit a chip, Nick. Well, no, I think it should be chip, then the the other hit, then a penalty for hitting it twice. <laughs> God dear. Make sure you don't do it again. Stuck. I mean, I know you're a man who's double double hit before. Have you never double hit a chip? I can't remember a time where I've double hit a chip. I'm sure it must have happened at some stage, but I don't remember. It Maybe it's because I banished it from my memory. It hasn't happened. It, it once. It hasn't happened to me very often. It, it once happened to me in a match, but I didn't. It, I wasn't the perpetrator of the crime. Oh, my opponent was. How and, so? um We were on the second extra hole, and it was very tight, and it'd been a great match. And um, he had a really straightforward chip, and well, basically a chip and run. I don't know how he managed to double hit it. He just decelerated into it so badly. Double hit a chip and run with a seven iron. Basically, the ball sort of ended up balancing on the end of the golf club. It was extraordinary. And it was it was so weird because I we just can't from... I can't picture how that would possibly work <laughs> without a sandwich in hand. It might have been a sandwich, but it wasn't a it wasn't a chip from the rough. It wasn't a particularly difficult chip. So um, probably what happened is he hit the ground before and then just touched the ball, and then it sort of balanced on his club for a bit and then rolled off. That's yeah. the sort of thing that happened. Pretty much. <laughs> sounds extraordinary it was and we looked at each other and he looked at me and he said I've just double hit that and what, what do you say to a man who says that to you? <laughs> that's a one shot penalty <laughs> so, no, you'd have said there's one for the hit one for the involuntary hit and then we had another penalty so you've had three shots more than the, uh, the tally of shots you had yeah. 10 seconds ago although before we before we get on to the actual predominant part of this podcast which is about the rules of golf I'm going to tell you about a match that I won, a golf match that I won in even more extraordinary circumstances, right? Wow. It was, it, was an, it was an away club match as a junior. And it was the, fi- it was the semi-final of some competition we were playing. In. And if, if as a team we won, we'd go through to the finals. It's quite a big deal. And um, <clears throat> I went out first and I got absolutely thrashed in my match, right? I lost six and five. It was a Walton Heath. I lost six and five on the, playing the old course. Got in. Going first as well. That's tough to take. Yeah. And somehow the group match came to a half, was tied at whatever the score was. It was tied. And so I had to go back out. Well, hang on. You lost six and five and they thought it was a good idea to put you out. Yeah, because we were the group one. So that we were nominated as ah, being you were two that had to go, okay. go back out. I was going to say that's questionable captaincy of not. Well, <laughs> well so, <laughs> so having been absolutely tonked in the morning... Um, we go back out in uh, the, the afternoon. Everyone's come out with us, so everyone's watching. And the first on the old course at Walton Heath is a long par three. And my opponent, having played 
really nicely all morning decided this was the opportunity to hit a shank oh hit a shank which ended up on the road which runs between the first and second holes at Walton oh Heath no. um, which <laughs> I hit a sort of seven iron up and just about cleared the rough made it onto the bit of fairway short of the green chipped it onto the green two putted for a bogey won the match was sort of heralded as some sort of hero <laughs> for making a five on a gentle par four. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> having no, having made a four on a, on a sorry four on a, a par three. three. Yeah, having pretty much not hit a decent shot all day. Um, but that's golf. That is golf, and you're uh, the hero in their eyes now. Um, there's been many instances poor fellas who behind you who won the points, and uh, they're <laughs> the ones lofting you in the air. Exactly. <laughs> they must have thought, "What's going on here? Hang on." <laughs> <laughs> it's probably the greatest day of my golfing career so far. That, that all downhill tells its own from there. Story. Uh, anyway, we are here to talk about something in particular, not my golfing triumphs. So, yeah, it was quite a ramble actually to start things off, wasn't it? It was. Um, anyway, so we the idea of this podcast is to look at the rules, but not. Um, in any other way than just to look at them and figure out if there are any gaps in the rules, any place for some either some new rulings to come in or rules that are slightly unfair to be abolished, things that might help the betterment of the golf of the game of golf. Is that fair? I'd fair? say that's a fair description. Yeah. Yeah. So we've each come up with three different rules we'd either implement or we'd remove or whatever. Just struck me that it was perhaps a bit foolish that we didn't cross-reference each other's new rules <laughs> before this. Yes. <laughs> I imagine there's going to be some overlap. Yeah. Let's well, I might have to look out. up. I might have to get the rule book out anyway to look up what happens if you double chip it. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> uh, anyway, right. Nigel, would you like to kick us off? Well, some of the rules that I've introduced in inverted commas are actually just modifications to similar or existing rules. Uh, the first <laughs> You're really one, selling it to me. The first one being the out-of-bounds rule. Right, yeah, we should have cross-referenced this. Yes. Okay, go on, carry on. But it'll be interesting to see if your reasoning is the same as mine. Okay. So I feel that instead of going back to the tee, uh, it should be a drop two club lengths from where the ball crossed the margin of the out-of-bounds. Of the okay? golf course. So yeah. Of the golf So very similar to the lateral water hazard rule. Yeah. Um, because, firstly, no one, it's embarrassing and humiliating walking back to the tee, isn't it? And then if you hit another one from the tee, there's absolutely no guarantee that that's going to go straight either. So you could be in this ridiculous situation where you're crisscrossing the fairway to find your balls whilst the people waiting on the tee behind are getting increasingly more infuriated. Yeah, and we've all, been in situations where, we've all been in situations where that's happened, haven't we? Where, you know, someone's struggling, whether it's you or somebody else in the group that you're playing in, and you've hit one, or let's say it's me, I've hit one out of bounds on one side and then I've hit a snap hook with the next one. And then, you know, you, you feel like you're playing the hole for about a, a day. But what's, I don't understand why that wouldn't be implemented. One shot, to me, seems completely sufficient for hitting a slightly wayward drive. And it means you don't have to uh, have... The golfer doesn't have to face the embarrassment of going back to the tee, and the group behind isn't held up. To me, it seems like a win-win, and the only argument against that is that two shots is the traditional penalty and is absolutely the right penalty. But that seems a bit harsh to me. It's always seemed harsh to me. I don't know if you think that's, that's too many shots for out of bounds. Yeah, I think so. there's two reasons why this is a good thing to implement. One, pace of play, as you said... Um, increasingly more important that we have rules that cater to, to faster play as well, I think, in the modern era. Exactly. And we often talk when it, in the rules about the bifurcation of the rules. So the keep maintaining a situation where the pros 
play exactly the same game that the amateurs play and keeping those two versions of the game as similar as they possibly can be. Even though the pros play from tees that are miles further back, the golf course is inevitably much better manicured, the rough is thicker, the greens are quicker, etc. Um, More comes into it as well, and I'm, I'm not going to go into what I would say because it, it would impinge on a later point that I'm going to make about that, but, but I think the, there is a call for their... The point about the, split. The, that I'm making about bifurcation in this instance is this rule, the rule, the out-of-bounds rule, seems to affect people like me and you and the people listening to this podcast, the, your average amateur, a lot harder than it would affect your tour pros because how often do they hit it out-of-bounds? Well... Very, very, very rarely, and partly because that's any time they do look like they're about to hit it out of bounds, the, the grandstand comes into play and bounces it back in. Exactly, so or spectators it, it, or something. And also, I can't think of too many examples of out of bounds being really close into a fairway. And it seems to seems to happen more on courses that I play than, than what I see on tour. I don't Hoy know Lake's quite a good example of that. Hoy Lake, I mean, you've got, what's the 13th at St. George's? 14th no, sure St. George's. 14th. I'm yeah. sure there's a couple more, but most times I play a new golf course, I'm faced with a... Crikey, there's an out of bounds, literally <laughs> flanking the left hand side of this fairway. Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, exactly. And but I, I, you have to have. It, well, it's also because they're on smaller have, plots of land, isn't it, than some yeah. of these tour courses. So they have to actually implement. They have to have put, put these stakes in there for, 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 I suppose, on health and safety part, rounds. As part well. health and safety rounds. Yeah. yeah. But also, I think um, you you would have to in, include a dropping option on top of what you have at the moment, because at the moment your only option is to play and hit another tee shot, hit three off the tee in that scenario. Yeah. Um, so there are going to be quite a lot of instances where that's not going to work. So where dropping isn't going to work because there's just complete cabbage between where you've hit the ball and the, the boundary of the golf course. Yeah. In which case, your only option is to hit another tee shot again. That's fine. Exactly. But, but if you can... Quite often, if you've hit one which is slicing and it was on the fairway halfway through its ball flight and then it's cut out of bounds, I, I agree. I, I just think... It just, it, you know, golf is hard and it's not going to ruin the game if it was a one-stroke penalty and you've dropped one nearer. The, I understand that there might be an issue with people using this rule to bend the rules slightly. I understand how that might happen. But that's an issue across the, the rules as a whole. As a whole, it? yeah, I agree. And actually some golf courses already implement this rule. And a lot of people I've spoken to and a lot of casual groups implement this rule as well. And I don't think it's to the detriment of the game at all. I mean, I can't really think of any negative apart from the fact that we're going against tradition. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know. I don't think of any. I can't really think of any bad reason. No, I, I think a lot of the time when it comes to rules changes, the, the, they aren't changed because they worry about the wiggle room that is created by a new rule that would allow people to sort of stay within the law the letter of the law without staying within the kind of moral boundary of the law mm. but i don't you know as you say golf is self-policing if people are going to cheat they're going to cheat they'll get caught eventually you know <laughs> you're going to get caught at some point um and i think this one is a sensible one it keeps pace of play up and it makes golf slightly easier so i'm with you so that's why we both got it on our list yeah um uh number two on your list nicholas number two Unintentional moving of ball. Right. On the putting surface. So my proposed rule would be, if the ball moves less than an inch, and you didn't intend, and the keyword here is intend, to move it, you play it from where it lies. I just think there's scenarios where, oh, did the why, ball why move? On the, why on the green and not? On the fairway, so okay, no, no, it's predominantly in response to the Dustin Johnson incident at the U.S. Open. But yes, it could be implemented on the fairway too. I just think it's absolutely ridiculous when we discuss, oh, should it be a penalty? Should it not be a penalty? When there's absolutely no advantage to be gained, 
and it wasn't intentional at all. So as far as I'm concerned, golf's a game of honesty. So you just say to your playing partner, my ball moved. Playing partner says, okay, was it more than an inch? No, crack on. There's no advantage to be gained from a ball moving one direction, uh, one inch on the green, right, in any direction. So why not just accept that sometimes accidentally the wind, you know, the wind comes along or you accidentally put your club a bit too hard on the green that moves less than an inch. It doesn't matter. It's not intentional. Play it from where it lies. Yeah, I, I remember once, uh, <laughs> again, as a junior, hitting, uh, making a practice swing at a ball that was on the fairway and hitting it with the very, very toe end of the golf club. And the ball shot across the hole and into a bush. <laughs> you can imagine my mood at the <laughs> age 15, uh, competing in the junior club championship or whatever it was. But, but do you know what I mean about it? It's so pedantic. And I think pedantic is a rule that can cover... Um, pedantic is a word that can cover the rules sometimes as a general and, and that's often because it has, there has to be pedantic there has to be a lot of description yes. to accompany the rule yeah, because in this the, instance it's protecting it's protecting the uh, integrity of the game so it might not be for these sorts of instances it, what it is doing is protecting people from bending the rules slightly too much as we've said before yeah but in this instance I actually agree with you I don't no I can't one's trying think to of gain an advantage an advantage can't be gained by moving the ball one half inch half an inch green. Or if half an inch or something. Yeah, clearly where the ball... E- even if someone puts their, drops their putter accidentally and it nudges the ball half an inch, you didn't mean to do it and it, no one's gained an advantage. So why can't we just chalk it down to these things happen sometimes in golf? He hasn't gained an advantage. Carry on. It's not going to help him hold the next part. Put it back and carry on. Or, or, or just play it from where it is. Yeah, I, I, I concur. I think... You know, we'd be interested to see what people listening to this think. So, if you if you have a specific scenario where I don't know, you might have strong feelings on this, where what what Nick is suggesting shouldn't be implemented. I actually don't have any strong opinions on this one, and that's I think because you're it's right. capped at one inch. If I was to say three inches or six inches or something like that, then you may have people who have accidentally nudged it six inches closer to the hole. But if it's an yeah, inch but if you have to put it back, yeah. So yeah, you either have to put it back. Yeah, but that's fine. I mean, it's you just put, within an inch and you play it where it lies. One of the two. Exactly. There are instances in the in the rules where you put it back to where it, it originally lay. Um, in the grand scheme of things, it just the, the Dustin Johnson incident really irritated me because man trying to win his first major, who's got so much to think about already, now has to think about something that had absolutely no bearing on the final result. Yeah, whether he may, moved it or whether he didn't move it, 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 it doesn't. We're talking well about millimeters. Does it? it doesn't matter. Yeah. Can't we just sometimes look at the bigger picture and say, grand scheme of things, it's not an issue. Let's <laughs> this is carry- this really, yeah, I agree, I agree. I think for, I think golf in the modern age, some of the rules and some of the way in which the rules are implemented and policed are pretty um, fearsome. And I think, that, I do think they have to be fearsome for a reason. I do yeah. think they're, but it in does some make golf look though, And it's about looking at this as objectively times. as possible and saying, look, we need to be strict on this rule because this is open to interpretation and there needs to be clarity here. But this one, no one's getting an advantage. Let's just move things on quicker and let's just look at the bigger view that it doesn't actually matter and, and carry on. OK, well, I would agree with you there. Um, but please, if anyone doesn't agree for a specific reason, we'd love to hear from you and we will discuss it on a future podcast. Um, OK, my um, second, because I agreed with you as well on the outbounds one, my um, second proposal for a change of rule and this is quite a radical one and okay. I, we have I have mentioned it on a previous podcast but I'm going to go into more depth in it here is that I think we should think about pro- um, prohibiting stopping people from marking their ball within a putter's length of the hole 
That's very, very interesting because the bottom of my notepad, I have no marking within 18 inches to two foot written down. Yeah. So we come Possibly up with a, influenced by you saying that on a previous podcast. You come up with a distance from the hole. That you, so if you've hit an approach shot that finishes close to the hole, that's different. You're allowed yeah, to Yeah, that's completely that. different, of course, because it could be muddy, etc., etc. But if you've putted up and you've putted up to a foot or two feet, you should then putt in. And there's, there's a, a very good reason why... There's two good reasons why this doesn't happen. One, because people are worried about standing on other people's lines. I think that is nonsense, okay? Picture the scene, right? You're playing in the club championship, right? You're fifth out, and it's first thing in the morning on August the 1st, okay? Yep. The greens are fairly damp. Uh, they've been watered overnight, and it, you know, they have, or they're dewy or something. So the greens are quite wet. The group in front of you ha- have all putted out. And then you hit your approach shot into five feet. Well, that group in front of you have just been stood around the hole, picking their respective golf balls out of the hole once they went in, mm. in the, exactly the area that you're looking to putt over. So why, if we come along and we're in the same group, am I suddenly not allowed to stand close to the hole? I think that's a part of the etiquette of the game that just needs to go. Just stand I think, oh, you're wherever right. you stand, right tap it in, on move on. Grounds, absolutely. And you know what? Sometimes you're going to hit putts that are going to go through people's footprints and they'll go in, and sometimes you'll hit putts that will go through people's footprints and they'll miss. That's golf in a nutshell. Um, and I just don't think it makes a massive difference. If, if, uh, if someone stood on your line, it's more of a mental thing than anything else, isn't it? It puts you off before you've even hit it. Well, I think we all just need to get over that. And I think if you had a rule that stopped people from marking their ball when they finished close to the hole, eventually, give it a year, people would start to get over that idea someone's just stood on my line. We'll just play anyway. Golf takes too long. Exactly. And psychologically, I, I don't understand why you'd want to have the thought of that two-footer percolating for, for longer. If it's me... I just go up to the ball, hit it in, and then I'm psychologically, I'm not thinking about, oh, when I'm marking it, I'm thinking, oh, crikey, there's actually a bit of left to right in this one. Oh, this could be tricky. I better, I better line the, um, the tight list logo up with the left edge of the hot. No, it's two feet away. Go up, knock it in. And how often when you walk up to the ball and sort of nonchalantly tap it in, does it miss? It doesn't, does it? You only miss from two feet when you're actually really, really focusing on the putt. It's usually because you're just... annoyed because you just missed the putt before. <laughs> just, it takes no, way uh, longer. Actually, actually Nick, I less... would, I, one thing I would... Uh, contest you on on that is I think it would make golf harder because I think from my perspective I'm better when I mark it walk away let my brain reset itself not get not be angry about what I've just done just to clarify we're talking about less than two feet putts here how shambolic is your putting (laughs) well pretty bad you've seen it (laughs) it's it's funny that you need to reset to hold an 18 inch putt no, 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 true. And I think on the... So maybe if you stopped having that attitude, you'd start holding more of them. Yeah, and there, there are two parts to this because it's bad. You know, golf takes too long for all of us. I think most people listening to us would agree that, you know, at its worst, golf can be quite, you know, painful at times. And so if it speeds up play for your average player, that's great. But if it also speeded up tour golf, that would be mm. good for all of us. I mean, we'd all like to be able to watch more golf and we don't have a massive amount of time. I have... If I have an hour at lunchtime on a Sunday to watch some sport, it would really help if I wasn't watching people marking and lining up putts from a foot. And that's why people do it in the amateur ranks. And it's about it, setting an example in the professional level. Yeah, exactly. And it, it's bad in the men's game, but it's actually worse in the women's game, I think. Oh, from from what I've worse. seen, the marking from close to the hole in the women's game. Not just game. marking, though, the lining up, the, yeah. the, the scrutiny of... Um, of the, analyzing the books that now have the all the, the green slopes on them, oh, the yeah. discussions with the caddies, the looking from both sides of the hole, obviously important on 10, 15, 20, every other part. But do you really need to look from both sides of the hole from for eighteen inches? But I think really? we should just 
the ruling body should just make a call that actually, do you know what? No, no more. Yeah. <laughs> and you know what? People might much. complain initially, but they'd soon get over it because it's really not a major thing. Oh yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, so yeah, that's my second one. Although, Nick, what would you say well, if someone's ball somehow picked up a load of mud on its way onto the green and two feet away from the flag? Well, that's like, in, and then you pick up one of those uh, what are they called worm pieces, like wormhole, whatever. Worm cast. Yeah, one of them. Uh, what uh, when you? Wh- I, my rule would propose that you would be allowed to mark it if you've chipped onto the green or if you say you're already on the green. the green and it picks up mud. This is the kind of ambiguity that's not helpful, though. Is the only thing. Uh, I think that's rubber the green. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. How often does that happen? It's rare. Exactly. It's rare. Yeah. And, but the problem is, if you allow that rule, if you okay, okay, fine, you've got something on your attached to your golf ball, you can mark it, wipe it, carry on. Well, what people are going to start doing that all the time because you've yeah. picked up a little bit of grass that's attached itself to the golf ball, and those those are the sorts of things the rules are there to prevent. Yeah. So I would say that's rubber the green, and it doesn't happen enough, really, to make it. Uh, maybe you would introduce a local rule if the greens had been it's sanded or hollow, yeah. hollow tined or something. You know, uh, you'd introduce a local rule, but the actual rule in the book should say no marking within, as you say, two feet. I completely agree. I agree. And, and if anyone out there is thinking, well, <laughs> you know, you're not going to be carrying a tape measure around with you to, to measure how far two feet from the hole is. I would say to that, well, when we have winter rules, we all know, I think it's in the, in this, in the rule book that it's a scorecard, the, mm. the distance of a score or six inches or a distance of a scorecard. Everyone does it by eye. Everyone trusts each other. So if you know so when you move your sorry, when referring to winter lies, you know if you've moved your ball six inches yeah. or, or two inches. Yeah. It was the same when you're putting; you'd know if you were inside that range or not. And that's there's a bit of valor in that. There's a bit of um, you know, there's a bit Just of honesty. Police it yourself and do the right thing. Yeah. And but I, I don't know who's going to be outraged by this proposal. Like someone sat there thinking, but if I can't mark my ball from the 18 inches, then I'm going to miss 50 percent more. Well, I really I find that hard to believe. <laughs> Yeah, well, I think elite players would find it. They'd have to get used to it. It would be it would be interesting to see how they would respond to that rule. Sometimes um, sacrifices have to be made. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Okay, uh, do you want to? Yeah, I mean, I actually one? had the no marking one down, but there's another one that I actually came across this whilst I was doing a bit of research. I thought it was very intriguing. Is with the lost ball rule. So, uh, with a one-stroke penalty, you can drop anywhere along the path of that ball you understand no okay so say you've say you've hit, <laughs> you hit, a, hit, a, hit a block straight right okay <laughs> you know my game so well <laughs> <laughs> you can go you can trace that line imagine a pro tracer line you can walk down that line and drop the ball anywhere on that line the one shot penalty so you can stay on the tee so if you it's want. basically the same as what you, we were saying earlier about the margin of the golf course the margin of the course Similar, but if there's a, a nice lie 50 yards away from the tee, then you can put it there. You can go 150 yards if you're not blocked out. Or yeah, so it's similar to the um, yes, it's similar. water yeah. hazard rule as well, yeah. where you can go back on a line. Yeah. Just think it's fun and it brings a bit more strategy into it as well, doesn't it? It's not just a straight reload. It's Well, maybe actually there's I could probably play a decent shot from 100 yards down there on the right-hand side and put it back and play from there. Okay. Maybe I'll do that. My, oh, but then actually, can I hit it further with a driver? Who knows? My thing I'd say about that is that that and we've sort of touched on this quite a lot already there's so much wiggle room in that because 
you know, rarely does someone hit a straight shot, right? Most of the time, the ball is curving one way or another. And if you've hit a big slice, there's going to be quite a lot of conjecture involved in what angle it actually crossed the margin and where it, where it actually travelled on that, that ball flight. Admittedly, but the precursor to all these discussions is that people do the right thing and don't take the mickey. And I think we trust golfers to do that anyway, so this wouldn't be a step too far. I understand that there is conjecture involved, though, and it's it's not a rule that I think would ever be implemented. I just came across it on a forum and thought it was quite an interesting thought. Yeah, I don't I don't think it's a bad idea. I don't think it's a bad idea um, because the chances are most of the time you're probably going to tee off for three on the tee anyway, aren't you? Really, that's where you that's where you're going to choose to play your next shot from anyway. But it just opens the window and gets you thinking. Well, you know, maybe maybe I can. Maybe the right hand rough isn't too bad. Maybe yeah, I can right hand rough, hundred yards up, and then you can muscle it. Yeah, but then you've got a risky next shot, and it makes things more entertaining. Yeah, just I brings a bit more strategy into it. I don't I think. See why imagine not. play uh, how much more fascinating match play matches would be if that rule was enforced. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I agree. Okay, good one. Well, I've got two rules that I, be- I think both are unfair. Go, go for it. Uh, one of them might have actually been changed. Anyway, so there's what the the rule that is unfair is if let's say you, you and I are playing golf together um, in the monthly medal, and I'm on the front of the green, and you've asked me to, and I've asked you to attend the flag for me, mm-hmm. and I've putted up, and you, um, being slightly malcoordinated, are struggling <laughs> to get the flag out of the hole as the ball comes along. The ball hits the flag, goes in. I get penalised for that, mm. <laughs> for your complete and utter. Do you think I should be penalised or do you think there should be no penalty? Uh, good question. What should happen? Uh, I don't think you should get penalised. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> can, can you turn the flag, please? Uh, no. Remember what happened last time? Yeah, exactly. No, ask someone else. Don't ask Nice to turn the flag for you. Uh, I, don't, I think it would be unfair for you to be penalised. I maybe think that no one should get penalised. But then you're giving it, there is an advantage to be had there. I do think someone should be penalised in that situation. Maybe the shot gets played again. Possibly. Is that, is that as much of a penalty as being being penalised as shot in the first place? Well, no, I just think we can't just say, no, that's fine, when your ball was travelling quite fast and it's going to go six feet past and now you've got a tap in. That's not fair, is it? No, good point. Maybe I've, I'm, I'm changing my mind uh, on this I'm one. Not, I'm not sure I'm on the same page on this one as you. No, I don't think I'm on the same page as myself either. If you want to hut with the flagging when you're on the green and you ask someone else to tend it for you then that's just the risk that you have to take <laughs> they, don't, they don't have a bit of a moment and fail to get the flag out in time yeah. Yeah. say you're playing in a, say you're playing match play and that happens and the guy you're playing misses a testing six footer which you would have had had your ball not hit the flag instead you've got to tap in and you win the hole that's not right no no quite right um, so I see what you're saying but no <laughs> Um, okay, no, I agree. My other one was, and I, I don't know whether the, I, I really need to have a look at the rule book. Uh, is where is when you are playing golf? It's been raining, uh, the bunkers are flooded, and you fit your ball into a bunker, and you have to drop the ball in the bunker. That's one of mine. I've got written down as well. Yeah, that strikes me as ludicrous. And I think the reason that is enforced is because a bunker is supposed to be a hazard, and you're supposed to be facing a tough shot from the bunker. However. I think there's any reason why you shouldn't be able to just place the ball in the bunker. Um, I agree. Um, well, it would be a, the problem is 
with this whole scenario is you're gaining such an advantage when you place a ball in a bunker, aren't you? You are. Because inevitably in that situation, you'd have to be placing it on a slope. If it's been raining, it's going to be a really bare lie, which means you're going to get lot, be able to get lots of golf club on the, the ball. It's, it almost feels a bit... It does almost feel unfair for you not to have... I don't know. This is, um, the, this is the trouble is that I think people realise that there should be some sort of penalty, but that dropping it and plugging is too severe and it just seems illogical. It just seems stupid, doesn't it, watching someone stand there dropping a ball in the bunker knowing it's going to plug and all they can do is advance the ball out sideways, whereas, yes, they should be penalised a little bit, but they should be able to advance the ball 100 yards up the fairway. Let me find the rule. I'm looking at the book. Page 109 covers abnormal ground conditions, Nigel, which... Um, is casual water to you and I, which I always think to people who don't play golf, the sound of casual water sounds quite um, bizarre. Well, I actually found out recently while you looked that up is that if you stand in a lie that it's a bit soggy but there's no casual water appearing, you are not allowed to actually push your weight down on your foot to make casual water appear in order to then get a drop. It has to be there when you take your stance in order to qualify for a drop. Do you know that? No. Say it again. Sorry, I was looking at the book. So say you're in a... (laughs) You can feel that there's water underneath when you take your stance, yeah. but it's not apparent. Yeah. You can't push down hard on your foot to make water appear oh, I didn't in know order that. to then get a drop. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, which I'm sure is something that a lot of people do. That, I mean, that's a perfect example of bending the rules, isn't it? There, I'm sure a lot of people do that, but actually that's technically illegal. That's technically not true. Yeah. But, I mean... No offence, you pushing, you standing in a, on an area pushing down water is going to be different to, you know, let's say, um, who's a diminutive tour player, sort of Charles Schwartzel. Yeah. <laughs> Just a side note, when you say no offence before a sentence, it doesn't mean it's not offensive. <laughs> uh, okay, yeah, in a bunker. So I'm going to read the rule out to you. So... Uh, interference by an abnormal ground condition occurs when a ball lies in or touches the condition or when the condition interferes fears with the player's stance or the area of the intended swing. If the player's ball lies on the putting green, blah, 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 otherwise intervention on the line of play is in itself not an interference. Uh, and then it goes on to talk about the, the, what happens in a bunker. In a bunker, if the ball is in a bunker, the player must lift the ball and drop either without a penalty in accordance with clause one of the above, uh, except that the nearest point of relief must be inside the bunker, or in the bunker, and the ball must be dropped in the bunker. If complete relief is impossible, as near as possible to the spot where the ball lay, but not nearer the hole, on a part of the course in the bunker that affords maximum available relief from the condition. Hmm. So you've got to stay in the bunker. See, that doesn't make much sense to me. because Or under a penalty of one stroke outside the bunker, keeping the point where the ball lay directly between the hole and the spot on which the ball is dropped, with no limit to how far behind the bunker the ball may be dropped. It seems, it just feels really unfair that. I mean, it you, does, you're playing, it's chucking it down with, with rain. You got to a bunker, it's filled with water. You've no one's no suggesting here that you should have a free drop outside of the bunker. But precedent tells us that the majority of the time in winter when a ball runs into a bunker, they may, it may pick up some debris, but it's a lie that you can advance quite a long way down the fairway generally and even if you're up close to the lip you can still maybe hit it 50 yards so why should you then have to go back and drop it and then not be able to advance the ball more than about 20 yards it doesn't seem right it doesn't seem fair what do you I mean? understand them so sorry no you, you you're not allowed you have to drop it in the bunker Exactly. Otherwise, you have saying. to take a penalty stroke, stroke and but drop it ha- outside the bunker ha- exactly I don't think you should be able to play for free outside the bunker but if you are dro- if you are 
it's say, say the water wasn't there, you're going to get a reasonable lie in the bunker most times. So why should you then have a, a worse time because there's casual water and be forced to drop Agreed. it and it plug? It doesn't make well, sense. But that's, I mean, that's the plugging part. I know why they're saying it is because they want you to me. play from the bunker because your ball was in the bunker yeah. and a bunker is a hazard. Yeah. So that's fine. But why can't you place it? Well, it's interesting. I wasn't really thinking about that. I was thinking more about the unfairness of what happens if there's nowhere in the bunker to drop it, which happens quite a lot. I mean, if a bunker's flooded, there's half a chance that the whole of the bunker's flooded because, you, remember, you have to take a complete relief as well. You can't just take partial relief. You can't be stood in the water and playing it from the sand. You have to be in a position where your feet and the club and the ball are not in contact with the water. So quite often that means your only option under this rule is to have a penalty, which having just hit it into a bunker feels totally unfair. It does, but I actually I have more sympathy with that rule than the dropping it in the bunker and, and getting plugging. a plug lie. Because it's a hazard, ultimately you found a hazard, and why should you take your ball out of a hazard for free? Mm, interesting. So I have more sympathy with that than being forced to... When the water wasn't there, it's not your fault that the water's there and you would have a decent lie if the water wasn't there. You then have to have a bad lie purely because it's rained. It's not fair. You're giving yourself a worse lie when there, it's not your I fault. I think whichever way you dice it up, there's going to be an element of unfairness that's about to take place in this scenario, isn't there? There is, yeah, because a shot seems too much, but I so understand, the, I understand the logic the lesser of punishing two someone is to for make having people to have drop outside of the bunker. Obviously, the RNA believe the lesser of two evils is... To give people a penalty shot and then they play it from outside the bunker. Whereas, I don't know, I feel like that just feels unfair to me and that those bunkers should be GUR and that you should be allowed a free drop. Particularly, the logic is that bunkers are hazards so you should be penalised, but a lot of modern bunkers actually aren't hazards and you can play pretty easily from those. So it doesn't seem fair in that regard, does it? To get a penalty from a bunker that you're actually... So hang on, there's no lip here and I've got a really good lie, but... Now I have to take it outside well, and get a shot penalty, and now I'm in the rough. That's, I mean, as you said earlier, bunkers are supposed to be hazards. The fact that they aren't a lot, a lot of the time, that's not really, that's not down to the rules. That's down yeah. to the way the golf course is designed. Okay, well, let's move on. Have you got any more? Yeah. Um, I always find it somewhat ridiculous when someone in a professional event has tugged their drive miles left, and they're in the trees, but there's a TV tower in their way. And they get to do some sort of ridiculous thing where they get two different drops to move out, out of the way of the TV tower and then they get a straight line to the flag. I think, no, deal with it. You've hit a wayward shot. So you wouldn't get that relief if a tree was in the way, which it could quite easily be given where you've hit it. But because there's a TV tower corner that's slightly obscuring your view, you get to move your ball because of that. I don't think you, should des- you deserve to move your ball when you hit your ball offline. This strikes me as a slight health and safety issue with your approach. TV tower, say there's a TV tower in your way and you're in the middle of trees and there's a tree to the left of the TV tower and a tree to the right of the TV tower. You get to move it because there's a TV tower in your way. But if your ball was slightly further left or slightly further right, you wouldn't because the trees are in the way and they're natural obstructions. So explain to me what your proposed rule would be. Would so you, pl- you deal with it, you play it. But, so what happens if you've hit your ball into an area on uh, in the rough and the TV tower's in your way? Just hit it back up to the fairway. But people aren't, players aren't going to do that. They're just going to hit it straight at the TV tower and just presume that they'll be able to miss it. Fine, but I just don't think you should get relief because of the TV But I, I think the way. TV cameraman in that scenario, <laughs> it's got every right to feel like he's in danger. <laughs> That's why the rule's there, No. You see where I'm. You see where I'm coming from, though. No. Uh, well, you're again, slightly further are you left. The tree is in the Dustin way, and you Johnson don't get relief. The US Open. Yeah. 
He like wasn't in the trees. You've hit was it he? in the rough. You've hit it. You've hit a wayward drive into the rough. Deal with it. Play it round the tower and then chip on. Shouldn't be able to go back miles in order to go. I, I just don't like it. And also don't like it. I think it was uh, the 12th hole in Austin, Texas, for the match play this year, where players there was a grandstand behind the green that was about 290 yards, and players were just driving it into the grandstand to get a drop. Yes, I it saw that. Doesn't seem right to me either. No, I'm not sure what the solution to that is, but it doesn't seem right. Maybe they should. Maybe the rough. Maybe the dropping zone should be in a slightly tricky area or something like that. But there, they were just able to hit it there with a backstop and get a favourable drop and have quite an easy chip. Agreed. That that isn't right. You shouldn't be aiming at grandstands because it's a better, you know. But I, I think they were. tournament they were, golf though. has a whole different set of rules and they're there for it's a reason. It's tricky, isn't it? And there is a case for, I can never say the word, bifurcation. Bifurcation? Yes. <laughs> bifurcation. bifurcation. <laughs> I think there are some good arguments in favour of it. Well, well, the interesting thing, I mean, we've talked about it a couple of times. I think there already is such a thing as bifurcation. I mean, how many times do you and I play golf courses that are in excess of 7,500 yards? Never. The, the golf course that I, I went to university at St. Andrews and got obviously very familiar with the old course. Last week, watching them play the old course on TV with the Dunhill Links. It was. It's a different golf course. The tees that they play off are so much further back. Mm. It, it, it changes, the, transforms the character of that golf course. And then when you throw in things like the US Open, where they have a completely different setup, where the greens are like outrageous off the charts quick, and the rough is ridiculously thick. Well, that's not the sort of golf that we, you know, you would not, and I would not play that golf course in that condition. No. So, you know, it's a different thing. I, I think that I'm all for you know those things i'm all for making it slightly harder for the professionals because they're better than we are um but i do i, I think on the whole that, that yes there already is bifurcation that's fine we should try and keep the rules as similar as they possibly can be i think on balance that's pro- i probably agree with you there but I, I, there are compelling arguments both ways i would say um and i've just got one more oh god which is when you end up in a divot in the fairway and you have to play the ball from that divot. That Play the ball huge. as it lies, Nigel. That is hugely unfair, though, but hear me out. So, it's Rob of the Green. The player in the group before you has hit a nice drive down the middle and then has a wedge to the green. Takes a, It's a player who takes massive divots and he's gouged a massive divot. Then you step up on the tee, drive it into that divot. You are denied the same playing conditions as the person who's come before you. How is that fair? Uh, yes. Okay. But what constitutes... A divot. I think it's instantly clear if something's a divot or not. Well, yeah. What, and if you don't agree with that, I think you'd be trying to manipulate <laughs> somewhat. No, I'm just saying a freshly made divot versus a divot that's three weeks old. They're two very different things. Everyone, everyone knows what a divot looks like, Neil. <laughs> just no, move I... it within six inches. Either direction. But, okay, what about a lie that's really bare? It's not a divot. It hasn't been gouged by another player. Yeah, but that's... that's It's ground conditions as opposed to man-made, something that's been man-made. But that feels slightly unfair. You've just, you've hit, okay, man-made in that the the reason that that grass is bare is because that's where all the traffic comes on and off the green. So that's where all the golfers walk. You, You hit a good shot into the green, takes a slight right bounce, ends up on an area with no grass where everyone muddy everyone is walking across there you don't get a drop or a um you don't get a free drop or a free place in that scenario play the ball as it, it lies is one of the oldest and most important rules in golf 
I, I take that point. I think that's that's a fair point. But it just something strikes me as unfair about and that. What happens on the green if so, if you hit your ball and it comes to rest on a an old pitch mark? You you actually can't do anything about. It. You can mend pitch marks on the green, but if your ball's actually sitting on on a pitch mark that someone hasn't repaired properly, there's nothing you can do about that because you have to play the ball as it lies. Yeah, um, but it would, it, yeah, again, it would rarely end up there. But I take your point again. There's quite a few because there's also a whole host of scenarios on the golf course where you get bad lies for things that haven't been created by golfers. Like, uh, but you don't get drops from. I mean, okay, uh, course machinery. If it's tire tracks, you do get. Um, you do get a drop from, but what about? I mean, there's all sorts of different things that can create bad lies on the golf course. That's not but your fault. You hit a straight driver. The, the bloke who's hit that, it before you hit one foot left. Some of these scenarios fine. that you've mentioned is that they're all in wayward positions. They're all not in the fairway, right? So players walk, people, spectators walking, not in the fairway. Tire tracks, not in the fairway. You've hit a lovely drive down the centre of the fairway, and you're punished. I, I feel protective over that rule because. That is Why can't we of... differentiate between fairway and rough or fairway and other? You can, and that is... Because I almost feel that rules, if you've hit it? a bad shot, you almost deserve to get a bad lie. And you've got no one to blame but yourself for hitting the bad shot. But if you've hit a really good shot down the middle, you shouldn't then get a bad lie. Oh, I don't necessarily agree with that. I think golf, because golf is played on a natural landscape, I don't think you ever can can um, expect a good lie. That's See, the flip I, I think, side I of what you're saying. Opposite. I think you deserve a good lie if you, find, if you hit a good drive down the middle of the fairway. Uh, I think, but golf is played on a natural landscape, and you can't expect to have a good lie all of the time. An enormous part of golf, whether you like it or not, and it's not going to change if the rules change, is that golf is played on a natural landscape. You are going to have bad lies when you shouldn't have them. How often do you get a really bad lie on a fairway, though? You get little cuppy lies where the ball sits down in the grass, or you get really bare lies. You do get them. You do. It's not the same as being in a divot, though, is it? I'm specifically talking about change the rule, so if your ball ends up in a divot on the fairway, you can move it within six inches in either direction, not nearer the hole. Mm, I, I, I actually... I understand I you don't want to compromise the integrity of play as it lies, but that just strikes me as very, very unfair. And also this thing of what actually constitutes a divot, because a divot that's been sanded and filled... Um, versus a divot that's just been freshly made versus a divot that was made three weeks ago that's pretty much been repaired. And then you, you're inviting people to have a little conference about every time, because you know, most of the shots you play are from tightly mown grass. You're gonna, Granted there's ambiguity. Potentially, you could be opening the door to having discussions over almost every shot you hit about whether you get a, a drop or not. And, and, the, and the also, you're, how te- often do you you're find, almost how telling often people that they deserve a good lie. You don't, there's no such thing. You, don't, no, no, you never deserve a good lie. You're hoping for one because you fit it down the fairway. But, that's not, but you just never know what you're going to get. And that it, it evens itself out in the end. Um, you're going to get some Wait, dusty Wait, so I lies. hit way more fairways than the other person that evens itself out? There's ambiguity. There's lots to clear up. But fundamentally, that, that strikes me as unfair. And fundamentally, I expect to get a good lie when I hit a good drive. But I you're obviously viewing it in a different way. I'm viewing it a different way. I don't think you should expect to have a good lie. I think you, you hit it down the middle. You, you expect to be able to get the club head on the ball, definitely. Um, but if it's not in a perfect lie, it's not in a perfect lie. That's, that's life. I'm not necessarily expecting a perfect lie. I'm expecting to be able to deliver my club into the back of the ball cleanly. Yeah, and you still can do that from a divot. Yeah, it's, mentally it's tricky, isn't it? Well, just feels like you've been denied the same playing conditions as people before you. I don't. I don't think you're wrong. 
on that front I do agree with you to a certain extent but I just think the rule is there it's a necessary evil I think it has to be there I think if you if you change that rule for whatever reason I mean play it as it lies is like is the oldest rule in the book and if you change that and make any um exceptions to that apart from exceptional ground conditions and I don't think a divot is an exceptional ground condition now that that could be debated for hours but it, it could yeah I understand a lot of the points you made and I think you probably understand some that I've made as well <laughs> should we leave it at that then let's leave it there <laughs> uh, okay well have you got anything else to say no um, at just pace of play um, maybe we should have uh, I know that technically as per the rules shot penalties can be enforced but I think that there should be a shift in the sense that if players hit a set of criteria and are deemed to be playing slowly then a penalty has to be given to them it's yeah. not optional. It has to be given. The, the referee has to say, right, you've hit this, this, and this. It's taking you X long to do this. That means you should be getting a penalty, compulsory penalty, not optional. Not, oh, actually, if I give this person a penalty, then there's going to be some big backlash against me, so I probably would just take the easy option and not give them a penalty. No, if you do this, you get penalised full stop. Yeah. Uh, well, I think there's a, a quite a, a, an almost a straightforward way of approaching slow play. And when you have a field of... of um, like a competition field the first group out gets timed so that just literally the only but only one timing they only, you only need to produce one timing and that is at what point was the last putt hold on the final green okay so you say you have the first group out have to be in within four hours right mm -hmm. so you tee off at nine you've got to be in by lunchtime by one okay so then you've got your exact cutoff moment so if that group get in by one then every subsequent group have to be in at whatever interval it is so 10 minutes after so at 10 past one group two come in 20 past one group three come in etc and that's how it works as soon as any of those groups miss that time then the penalties come in and the penalty should be really quite severe okay i i see where you're coming from and i definitely agree that i think every round should be timed first tee and putt hold and then i think the results should be published and put on club notice board so people can see how long rounds are taking the thing that's slightly unfair in that situation is there could be two horribly slow people in a group and one fast person, and the fast person gets penalised because he just happens to be paired with the two slow people. That, again, strikes me as unfair. It does, but I, I, and I agree, and that is unfair, but I don't see a way around that, and I think that's um, an acceptable... What happens in a lot of these scenarios is the people who are slow, just people don't want to play with them, and that's kind of almost right. The prob I think the problem with golf is it only takes one slow player to bring down a whole field. Yep. You know, we've all played in rounds of golf that have taken way too long. And you look, and I'll look around the golf course, and I'll be thinking, well, he's not slow, he's not slow, he's not. Why is it taking such a long time? Because it actually, it only takes one person to decide that they are quite happy being out there for five hours. They're quite happy looking at every shot from every angle. And suddenly the pace of play comes to a complete standstill. And so it's identifying. So what this system does is it identifies which group that slow player has existed within. And then obviously after that, after one group has missed the, uh, their time, then that allowance is given to the other groups. Um, but I just think if you keep up with the group in front, you'll never come, you'll never fall foul of that, that rule. Yeah, there's merit in your idea. But yeah, perhaps we should save this discussion for the slow play podcast. Your slow play special. Slow play special. <laughs> but yeah, there's merit in your idea and I can see where you're it's, coming from. It's only a half-baked idea. Uh, probably one that needs a bit of work on but yeah. um, there's got to be a way of policing slow play that's easy for golf clubs around the UK to do and if but anyone has uh, examples of what clubs have imp implemented successfully to uh, speed up pace of play then get in touch with us and let us know
please do. And and also, what is what actually constitutes slow play? Because one person's four hours and twenty minutes is another person's. Oh, that's perfect. And it's so there's so many variables that come into that equation as well, which is another tricky thing. But yeah, we should possibly do a a whole podcast dedicated to slow play. Indeed, indeed, discuss I agree. All these ideas fully. I agree. Well, um, that brings us to the end of this week's podcast. Thank you for listening. Um, I hope you, hope you've enjoyed it. Um, we will be back next week for more ramblings we're going to be looking at the final series on the european tour very soon so please uh please pick up the podcast for that but until next time it's goodbye